And so, um, so let's take a look at, at what we've got here. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 2, 5 through 11. And if you will stand as I read in honor of God's word. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. So that, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end, I also wrote, that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Father, thank you again for your word. Bless it uh, for your glory and for the strengthening of your saints. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So there were a lot of things that were going on in Corinth. And uh, some people think that this letter was written to uh, deal with the immoral man that he talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, but there's nothing in at least the first part of this letter, the first um, chapter and, and the verses before this, that talk anything at all about immorality. Um, and so uh, most people, including myself, believe that he's, he's writing to and dealing with the one who was the ringleader of those that were opposing Paul. And apparently that letter that we don't have anymore, the letter that was written after 1 Corinthians and before 2 Corinthians, was a letter that told the church what they needed to do in order to handle this problem and deal with this man. And apparently they took that letter very seriously and they did what they needed to do. So we believe that this letter is written about a man um, and to a man or uh, concerning a man that was attacking the minister of God. Now, um, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of that that goes on. And one of the things that, that happens and, 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 um, is if you attack a minister, if you attack a pastor, then you better be sure that that accusation is true. Okay? And I mean, it's just real simple. A lot of people are being attacked nowadays. A lot of ministers are being attacked. A lot of pastors are being attacked. A lot of them are being accused of a lot of things. And some of them uh, are being accused of things that if found to be true, they should not be in the ministry anymore. In fact, some of those things were things that, that Paul was being accused of, that he was living uh, a life that was contrary to the scripture and a contrary to what he preached. And so if, if somebody would accuse and attack a minister, they better be sure that it's, um, that it's a gospel issue and that it's true. And that it's not just a preference. You know what I've seen? I've seen a lot of times it's a matter of preference. It's a lot of, well, the pastor doesn't do it the way I want it done. And so I'm tired of him. I don't want him anymore. Uh, and, 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 um, and sometimes, you know what that does? Sometimes then they'll, they'll go to somebody else. And they'll get them on their side. That's what was happening here with the Apostle Paul. This person was, wanted to become the leader, if you will, of that congregation and was trying to get other people to follow him instead of Paul, okay? And that's what happens in a local church sometimes. Somebody doesn't want uh, that pastor anymore. The pastor doesn't do or does something that the person doesn't like, okay? Now, I got to tell you, um, there are a lot of issues that are contentious in the church, okay? I remember... Uh, at a church where I attended one time when 
when they put the drums on the stage for the first time, right? And people left, okay? Because to them, drums should never be in a church. A harp, okay, but not drums, right? Okay? And so music is one of those things that's pretty contentious. And, uh, and there are other things. Um, and well, let me ask you this. Do I look okay? Would I look okay without a jacket and a tie? Some of you are going, that's questionable. I don't know. And some of you are going, it doesn't matter what you wear. You don't look okay. You know? Uh, you know that phrase that says, I'm okay, you're okay? We're not. Okay? It doesn't matter whether we look okay or, or not. We're not okay. That's why we need Jesus, right? Um, so, and, and some people, it's, it's a preference issue. Well, Pastor Curtis, I really think you should wear a, a jacket and a tie. Pastor Curtis, I really think you need to dress down a little bit. That's too fancy for all of us. I went to Birchman, at, and, and um, I went to the Sunday school class uh, that my brother-in-law was teaching that day, and I was the only one in that class that had a jacket and a tie on. And they looked at me, and they said to me, you didn't get the memo <laughs> about the dress code? And some of them, I mean, a couple of them were even in shorts. And I'm thinking, okay, this is a Southern Baptist church in a Southern town, I'm going to dress up. And I mean, I always, anyway. So there's all kinds of preference issues that people deal with. And sometimes that's what the pastor gets in trouble for the most. Preference issues. The kind of music we listen to. Those kind of things. And so um, uh, it happens. Those things happened with the Apostle Paul. The, the, the things that they were dealing with with him and accusing him of were of a more serious nature than um, I don't like the way he combs his hair or I don't like the way he ties his tie. Uh, or whatever, they were a more serious nature, but they were accusing and attacking Paul. Now, I really think that's a problem. I, I really, and, and, and see, by the way, I am a pastor, and so I don't really want to preach this, okay? Because it seems like when I preach this, or it does to me anyway, that I'm defending myself. But it's the scripture, and I've made a commitment that what I'm going to do is I'm, gonna I'm going to preach um, through the books, I'm not going to take a topic and take another topic, because I'd skip this one if it was my choice, okay? And so it's difficult for me to preach this because I'm the one, the minister, that sometimes needs defended, okay? So, but if we're going to, um, well, just look at David. Remember what happened with King David? Well, he wasn't king yet, but he was being chased by a king. He was being uh, um, followed by a king. He was being hunted down by a king. And there was a time when, when he could have killed that king, King Saul, and he said, far be it from me to lay my hand on the Lord's anointed. Well, at that point, who was the Lord's anointed? It was David. But he wouldn't touch King Saul. Okay? And, and that's kind of why, um, uh, why I don't call out other pastors as false prophets. I mean, I have, I have sometimes I'll tell you things like this. If anybody ever tells you they know when Jesus is going to return, just stop listening to them. They're a false prophet because nobody knows. And one time, I even gave you a name of somebody, but I don't do that very often because I don't want to attack that person because I don't want to be seen as that one that is attacking that minister of God. Now, I can attack the doctrine, but I don't want to attack that person. With Paul... They were just outright lies that they were making against him. The accuser, the one that started the whole thing, the accuser, the attacker, was 
um, was twisting and warping the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was accusing Paul of not being a very good minister, okay? And so Paul says, but if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me. Now that's interesting. That's interesting to me when I read that because you read about all of the difficulties that Paul went through, the suffering and the worry that he had for the church. But he wasn't there, for the most part, to be attacked. And so what was happening was they were being led astray. Anybody ever go on a road trip? Anybody ever drive somewhere a long way for vacation? Uh, those trips, I love being on vacation. I love being there. I don't like going there. And when I go there, I don't want Siri or whoever else it is telling me which way to turn. Okay? I map my route out and I know which way I'm going to go. But see, what we see here is a picture of a congregation riding in the back of a van, okay, or a bus, and you have a driver, this guy that's leading the congregation or, or, or causing the uprising. You've got somebody else maybe in the passenger seat up there that's doing the navigating, and they're not taking the church where they're supposed to be going, okay? It's like, it's like being on that, on that road trip, and um, everybody's back there talking and having a good time, and they knew they should get there in, say, three hours, and it's five hours later, and they're not there yet. Why? Because they took them down the wrong road. And that's what this group of people here were doing. That's what this ringleader who's accusing Paul, that's what he was doing. And so, and, and the thing is, <clears throat> if you're going down the road literally, guess what? You can probably get back on path. Okay, it doesn't hurt too much. It takes a little bit of time, extra money, extra time. But if they're taking you down the wrong road doctrinally, and you begin to believe that kind of stuff, that can be real problems. And that's what was happening. And so Paul says, uh, but if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent. Okay? And, we, and <clears throat> because they're the ones that have been hurt. They're the ones whose time was wasted and, and their, their growth was, um, was harmed because of the teachings that they were then following by this, uh, this accuser. And so he says, but all of you have, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. Now I look at that and I think, okay, what was this? Well, what he's trying to do here when he says not to be too severe is he's trying to um, let them know <coughs> that, uh, that not to be too severe is attached to all of you to some extent, okay? So he's not saying all of you, and he's not saying to the full extent, but all of you to some extent, I'm not trying to be too severe here. I'm not trying to make more of this than it really is, okay? And so um, if anyone has caused grief, they've... Uh, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. This punishment. So, so they've been hurt. They've been uh, grieved. They've been taken and gone off of the road a little bit, off the path a little bit. And when he wrote to them that second letter that we don't have, they took it to heart and they disciplined this accuser, this um, one who was being a false prophet. And, um, and some say... Uh, the punishment <laughs> wasn't strong enough. It wasn't enough. He didn't do enough. Look at all the damage and the hurt he caused. Look at everything he did. You should have done more. He said this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. It was enough. It was enough. It had its um, intended purpose. Apparently, it worked, and the man repented. And if, and if it worked and the man repented, should he have been punished more? Obviously not, right? The punishment must fit the um, crime, if you want to call it that. 
And so he says this was enough. Some people were saying it's not enough. They should have done more. The punishment which was inflicted by the majority. I want you to see that other thing here. Um, that, uh, that it was the majority. Okay? There were still some that thought that, um, that, that they shouldn't do anything. It wasn't by everybody unanimous. So they, they inflicted some discipline on him or some punishment on him. And it was enough that it was brought him to repentance. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up by sin. Now, it's interesting because some wanted more punishment. Um, and he said, no, that's not what you need to do. It was enough. It had its intended effect. And in fact, what you need to do rather than punish him more is now you need to forgive him. Now you need to comfort him because if you don't, he could be swallowed up with too much sorrow. If you just say, okay, we've forgiven you. You can come back to church. You can come back and be a part of the congregation. Nobody talks to him. Nobody has anything to do with him. Guess what? It could be a real bad issue. could be a real bad thing. He would be swallowed up with too much sorrow. And so the Apostle Paul tells them that, uh, that they need to forgive him uh, and bring him back into the fellowship of the church. So um, there's three things that was going on. Three things that we see. Some in the church felt it wasn't strong enough. They wanted the offender to be disciplined even more severely. Um, but what happened was he was committing wrong in the church, and the church felt that they had to discipline him, and so they did. They followed the advice of, the, of Paul, and they disciplined him. Not everybody agreed uh, with the discipline or with the severity of the discipline. Some people thought, we don't need to do that. Some people thought, we need to do more. Um, and so uh, you're going to see that. You're going to see that all over the place. Um, and so, uh, so that, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up by sin. The first purpose, uh, of course, of doing, uh, of writing that letter and of disciplining this young man or this man is, um, is to bring him back, is to get him to repent. Uh, and I want you to see what, what kind of was happening here in this whole thing. Um, some of the people wanted more discipline. Now, Paul said... Uh, you're the ones that have been hurt. You're the ones that have been grieved. I wasn't. But can you imagine? He, he goes to visit, and it was a real short visit. He wanted to stay for a longer time, but because of all the controversy, he leaves. And the people see the way that he is being treated. Now, what happens sometimes is, um, and so basically what he's saying to them is, don't be offended on my behalf. Don't take up an offense on my behalf. Because that's apparently what some of them were doing by wanting the man to have a stronger discipline. He says, don't bother. It's not important. You need to forgive and comfort him and to reaffirm your love to him. And so, um, let's just kind of back a little bit here. Any, anybody that attacks the minister needs to be, needs to be disciplined. Um, and yet, when they are when they accept that correction and when things, when it's enough, like he says here, it's sufficient for such a man, when it's enough and they, that person repents, then, then four things can happen uh, or then some things can happen. And that ought to be forgiveness and comfort. Bring them back and love them um, like you did before. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. Reaffirm your love to him. Let him know that you're going to stand with him. Let him know that you're going to uh, walk with him, that you're going to be uh, there by his side and help him out. 
Uh, and so the, the comfort and the encouragement of the church is something else that's needed after the repentance. Um, and then the Apostle Paul says, for to this end I also wrote, and I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now, it's interesting that, um, that he wants to kind of put them to the test. Uh, as they are, it's okay for them to discipline him, okay? Some of them are right on with that. Let's bring on the discipline. Let's make sure that he doesn't do this again. Let's, you know, um, but then he said, now you've got to forgive him. And sometimes, sometimes forgiving somebody that's offended you or that's hurt you or that's hurt somebody you know or that you love is more difficult to do than it to discipline them. And so he calls on them to love them and he says, I put you to the test. Whether you're obedient in all things, you're obedient in the disciplining of this person, are you obedient also in the loving and the restoration and in the comforting of this person? Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. Isn't that something? The Apostle Paul is the one who is accused and attacked, although he's not physically there for most of the time. It's his reputation, it's his ministry, it's the gospel that he preaches that's been attacked, and he said, I forgive. The one I'm calling on you to forgive, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. I have forgiven him. Now there's, there's more than just for their sakes. When you forgive somebody, there's a lot of people it affects. Of course, when you hold something against somebody, it affects them too. But if you forgive somebody, there's two people immediately that it affects. It affects you and it, you and it affects them. But it also affects the people that are in the company of 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 both of you, okay? The people in your congregation, the people in your family, the people uh, that hang around or work with you. And so he says, I did it for, um, for their benefit and also for your sakes in the presence of Christ. You know what else it does? That kind of forgiveness. I, w- I want to, <laughs> it, it helps the ministry of Christ. I remember um, a really good example of this. And, uh, and I've shared this story before. Um, long, long time ago, uh, and I was probably in junior high or freshman or sophomore or something, and I was downstairs in my basement working on my bicycle. And uh, I, I had somebody that had been teaching me how to clean things up and adjust the gears and all that kind of stuff. And I pretty much had that whole bicycle just taken apart. You know how you see an exploded view of something sometimes? That's what my bicycle looked like. Every part was just laying there, the frame, the wheels, the f- everything, just all apart. And I was working on putting it back together and, and adjusting all of the parts. And I said, and I heard, hey, Curtis, Kurt, come on, we're going to go uh, to such and such a place. And I thought, why now? I don't want to go. Why do I have to go do something they want to do but I don't want to do? Why can't I stay here and do this? And so we went, and I was... Um, I don't know what word to use, but I wasn't happy. Um, Pouting, I guess, is a really good word to use. And I was just sitting in the back seat of the car, not happy, not wanting to do anything. Everybody else got out, and they went there having a good time. I was pouting. So I wrote a quick note on a plate that you could hardly read, and I said, I'm going home. Now, mind you, it was 30 miles home, but I was going home because I was going to work on my bike. And so... Pretty soon, here come mom and dad and my brothers driving down the highway, and uh, I had probably made it five miles, maybe, and uh, 
Mom rolled down the window of the car and says, tired of walking? Run a while. And Dad drove off. Pretty soon he pulled over and slowed down. I went and got in, and they weren't very happy. We got home. I got my discipline, and then somebody called and said, hey, you guys want to come over and shoot some pool? And so they took off. Dad goes, aren't you going? I'm going, I didn't think I was going to be able to. He says, well, we can disagree. We don't have to be disagreeable about it. And I took my punishment, and that was enough. And my dad saw that. And the next time he wanted to go fishing, I went. <laughs> I didn't have sorrow upon sorrow because of the way he treated me and disciplined me. I got what I needed. I got what I deserved. But he didn't pour more and more on me. And so, um, in fact, I think he probably even forgave me. And I still don't bait hooks. I'll use the fake bait and sometimes none because I don't really want to catch anything. But I'll go with him when he wants to. And I don't walk home when I'm not supposed to. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. In the presence of Christ. I have forgiven him for your sakes, for his sake, for my sake, and for the sake of the gospel ministry of Jesus Christ. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So we see that that one has repented. Okay? Um, and when we, when we look at all of this, th their job, that one who has offended, the one who has done the wrong, their job is to repent. Our job then is to forgive them when they repent. Now, in my, in my view, in my view, um, if, if that is a public sin, and this one was, because he was accusing and attacking Paul before the congregation, then that repentance ought to also be public. If it's private between two people and nobody else knows about it, then that repentance should be private, and neither one should make it public. And so um, uh, this one was, was, was public, and I believe that his repentance also was public. Um, and so, uh, and what if they don't repent? I mean, because you've got two possibilities here. You've got the possibility that they're going to repent, and when they repent, you, you accept them back in. You accept them, they come back. Um, and what if they don't? What if they don't? Uh, what do you do? Do you use your time and your effort to continue, continually forever going after them? I think there's a, a, um, a limit to doing that. Because if you are so focused on bringing that one back, and I know that Jesus left the 90 and 9 and went after the one, okay? I know. But I'm telling you that, that if that person just fails to repent again and again and again and again, refuses to repent, there's a time where you just kick the dust off of your feet, okay? And so um, it's their job to repent. It's our job to forgive them. But if they don't repent, then there's got to be a point where you just turn them over to God. You just let God deal with that. Because why? Because you're called to reach people for the gospel. And what was happening here was this church was being so drawn into this 
and so drawn into this strife and this contention and these attacks and this accusation that they weren't able to focus on sharing the gospel and telling people about Jesus Christ. And even if they did, because they were following somebody who was preaching a false gospel, they probably wouldn't do it and share the gospel, the gospel truth anyway. And when we're so caught up in all of those kind of things, instead of sharing the gospel, we're fighting amongst ourselves and worrying about all of that. And you see, um, I think that's, that's the, what's the word? The, lest Satan should take advantage of us for we're not ignorant of his devices. I think that's the one of the things he does. Is he tries to stir up strife and difference and animosity between church members so that they won't be able to, um, to really work together to share the gospel. And you know what happens? Two things can happen. One, those people are either going to repent and the church is going to grow or those people are going to leave and the church is going to grow. And we've seen it happen. And I've got to tell you something. Uh, it's exciting to watch what God does. We need to do our part to go to them and to get them to repent and to bring them back. But if they absolutely refuse, again, you just kick the dust off your feet. And you plow around them or whatever, and you let God do his work in their heart and continue to work in ours here. And so the first thing that we see is, <laughs> I mean, one of the things we see is forgive them. Forgive. Um, have you ever been hurt by somebody? Anybody ever say anything bad about you that just really cut to the quick? You know? Um, you know, it's going to happen to everybody. It's going to. And, and if you stand in front of a group, doesn't matter if it's a church or a school classroom or whatever it is, somebody's going to not like something that you said or did. And somebody might share with somebody else what you said or did that they're upset about. Okay? And it might come back to you. And you're going to get hurt. Your feelings are going to be, you know, going to be hurt. We've all had it happen. And, and one of the hardest things to do is to forgive. But one of the most important things to do is to forgive. Because if I hold a grudge against somebody who says something negative about me, I'm probably going to have a grudge against more people than I really know. Because I open myself up for all kinds of things to be said about me. I mean, every time you stand in front of a group of people, you do. And you know who it's going to hurt the most? Me. Because if I, am, if I allow those things and hold those grudges, then guess what? I'm focused on those things and those hurts and those pains instead of focusing on bringing the word of God to you and doing the work that God has called me to do as your pastor. And if I hold those grudges and then focus on those things, then I'm not doing the work that God called me to do and you, quote, hired me to do. The first thing I need to do is forgive for my own good. The first thing you need to do is forgive for your own good and then for the good of the person and then for the good of the congregation and for the good of the call of Christ and the cause of Christ. And so, I, 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 you know, I look at this and I think of the fact that, that that's what Jesus did. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
All of the disciples left him. They ran away. They hid. They even, some of them stood at a distance while he was uh, on the cross, not wanting to identify him with him. I don't even know him, Peter said. What are you talking about? I don't know him. Three times. And yet, even with all of that happening, he forgave them. And if he, going through all of that, and Paul, going through what he did, can forgive, then absolutely we can and must also forgive. And so I don't know if the picture that you've seen is one of forgiving somebody, of needing to forgive somebody, or if it's the need to be forgiven by somebody. Either way, we're going to have a time of decision. Our hymn number is 234, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And if there's an issue that you need to deal with, uh, prayer that you need to make, something that you need to share, I'm going to be at the front. If you know that, that you have never been forgiven and have never received eternal life through Jesus Christ, I'm going to be here at the front, ready for you to experience that forgiveness that only Christ can offer. Will you bow with me, please? Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your forgiveness. And I thank you that, that you, through Christ, make it possible for us to live this life not going through with sorrow upon sorrow and more than we can bear because we know that through Christ and through his death, burial and resurrection, through his sacrifice, we are forgiven and we can live a life of forgiveness. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here that's never trusted Christ, that today will be the day. If there's anybody here that has trusted Christ, never confessed him, that today will be the day when they share with this church, their congregation, that they have trusted in Christ. If there's any need that people have, Father, I pray that they will make it right, that they will confess, that they will um, walk uh, before you in forgiveness and in holiness and in righteousness and purity. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name.